Hey guys, welcome to Rankin Vile, the podcast where we are ranking every single horror movie ever made. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? It's going pretty good. Um, I got a new audio cassette. Um, and I recently purchased a very nice used uh, tape deck. I don't know if I told you about this yet. I don't think you have. Please tell me of your tape deck. I bought it at a Nashville Goodwill. So it's, and what I've discovered is Goodwills, especially in the Nashville metro area, uh, are starting to have um, old country music stars stuff in them. So there's a lot of, you know, there's, you know, a surplus of John Wayne and uh, Roy Orbison like video cassettes but there's also high-end stereo equipment so what i have is a tape deck that is supposed to be uh hooked into a soundboard to make an audio recording of the uh sound holy shit that's... So I've also been able to hook this up to my cell phone and I've been able to make <laughs> mixtapes with it of Vaporwave. Man, honestly, Vaporwave, I feel like uh, quarantine has been a great time for um, Vaporwave, comma, lo-fi hip-hop beats to relax slash study to. Like, this has been a great period for everybody getting back into lo-fi in a way I really appreciate. Have you heard the Coronavirus Vaporwave album? N- no, but I'm furiously googling it right now i i it's I called this? wuhan <laughs> and it is wow um, wow wow i can't read this band's name out loud because it's just random japanese kanji and and words mm-hmm. but it's just a whole vaporwave album themed around the coronavirus see this is honestly i i've realized like music in quarantine has become a thing that's become really important to me in the regard that like because uh, I, I, you know, I live in a house with you know two other people, and so uh, during the day when all of us are going about our various like activities and we're working, everybody's kind of plugged into uh, into our headphones because like you don't want to be that person in the house just like blasting music when everybody else is just like trying to vibe or trying to concentrate. Um, and so lately for me, I Quincy, what do you know about the band Worm Rot? Have you heard of Worm Rot? I have not heard about Wormrot. Tell me more. Wormrot, you specifically need this band in your life. They are a Singaporean grindcore band. Uh, and they're they're just fucking phenomenal. Like, I've been... So, uh, I've been doing a technique lately where I, I do the Pomodoro technique. Like, 25 minutes on, working, 5 minutes, taking a break. Um, and I've been combining this with listening to either death metal or grindcore because it's, like, just enough of a pounding beat to kind of keep me chugging forward but not... And, like, the melody and lyrics aren't enough that I can get distracted by them because it's just a sort of, like, brown noise at a certain point. It's uh, also especially helpful because most grindcore albums are only 25 minutes long. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, grindcore especially, like, I love so much. Um, now, Napalm Death especially, I love what they eventually turned into, but when you go back and listen to those early Napalm Death records... It sounds like a really disappointed orc yelling because he can't get the office printer to work right. Or it's just this, <laughs> it's like a lot of thunking noises and like it's just like he's just so upset. Um, but yeah, like honestly, uh, so worm rot you need to check out. I'm, I'm gr- so much modern grindcore. I love that it's like almost non recognizable as grindcore as compared to like early '90s like metalcore and grindcore. Like I don't know if this is just like a genre thing. But it well, sounds new. 
the thing I really like is um, all of the women in the grindcore scene. I've oh, about yeah. gotten to the point where if you're a cis male and you're in a grindcore band, I don't care about you. <laughs> exactly. But bands exactly. like Oathbreaker and Mothmother are oh, especially yeah. great. Mothmother is uh, amazing if you haven't checked them out yet. Um, they have a EP that I have on audio cassette and it's uh, the same album on both sides because it's so short if it's only one half of a cassette. Uh, and Beautiful. they're especially good. See, my, yeah, my... Um, I, I really like how... Ex- I'm trying not to use the word extreme when talking about <laughs> I grindcore. Mean, I mean, that's the, that's the vibe, it is incredibly difficult not to talk about to use the word extreme. I mean, it is extreme metal. It's extreme punk. Like, it's it's... Now, this is actually, this is my favorite thing, is especially in terms of, like, cultural sort of cross-pollination. Um, I, I think my, my favorite thing about Japanese grindcore is that, uh, especially, like, mid-90s Japanese grindcore sort of, like, took American and, like, sort of Western grindcore and went, oh, this is the heart and soul of what you're doing, and then they did it twice as fast and twice as intensely, and it's just, like, it just obliterates everything else in, like, three seconds. But then you look at the dudes in the grindcore bands, and they're all sort of, like, wearing, like, hair metal outfits. <laughs> and it's incredible, because it's like they've they've absorbed all of these bits of Western culture and figured out what was actually interesting about any of it. I don't know. We're getting in the weeds with grindcore. The important thing is that we like to hear upsetting sounds while we work, I think. Yes. <laughs> they're the best. So, let's talk about an upsetting movie we watched this week. Hachi machi. So, this movie... All right. So, this week, we are doing uh, the movie uh, Noroi the Curse uh, from 2005, which was directed by uh, Koji Shiraishi, who is the same guy who did that uh, Kayako versus Sadako movie with, like, the ring... And now, he's... Which I love that... So, I love that Noroi was his first movie, and then they're like, give this man... (laughs) <laughs> the two Japanese ghost movie franchises. You know what? Let him just like action figures smash them together. Yeah, honestly, it makes me think of like the guy who did uh, City of Lost Children, like Jean Pierre Genet. Like that guy did that, and then Fox was like, "Hey, do you want to direct Alien Resurrection?" And he's like confused, but like, okay, sure. And it's like they they looked at this one guy who did this one movie and were like, "Do you want this flagship property?" And it it, it makes me think of like. Honestly, I stand David Lynch's Dune every day of the week and twice on Sundays. It's got a pug in it. It's House got Arrakis a pug. canonically has a pet dog. <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot of moisture on Arrakis, and so that face, that's the face you get when there's not a lot of moisture <laughs> in the region. It gets it gets wrinkly. I Honestly, that's my favorite thing is, like, when you get a director, right, who's got, like, a super strong voice, especially with, like, their early work, that somehow gets handed the keys to the kingdom to do a really big mainstream property. Now, the thing is, Noroi the Curse was like, this was a, a hard-to-find movie for a long, long time. Like, you you couldn't really, you know, it, it was really, really hard to find in the West, and then eventually, uh, Shudder um, got the rights to, you know, sort of stream Noroi the Curse. Um, it is a found footage horror movie that is two hours long. I don't know how we feel about that runtime, by the way. So, you know, I was reading reviews online and I saw a lot of you'll love it or hate it. And mm. I'm pleased to say that I got sucked in and the mm-hmm. third act made the runtime worth it. And, yeah. Uh, the format is... So, I think... 
we might have lost something by having HD because mm-hmm. the best of these found footage movies are shot on tape. And this movie is the most grainy found footage movie I've ever seen. Now, part of that mm-hmm. might be that my internet connection was poor the night I streamed this, <laughs> but it looked like actual garbage and it enhanced my viewing uh, experience a thousand percent. Well, and, and this is a thing that I think we, we sort of talk about a lot with, you know, sort of physical media and the fact that you want, you know, like, for example, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you don't necessarily want to watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in, you know, just like incredible high definition and able to see everything. Um, and actually, uh, I know H Bomber Guy, uh, who's a, a YouTuber, has a, a great, you know, video essay about this that, like, uh, VHS was a format and is a format that's really, really friendly to horror because of the sort of vibe that the graininess and the texture can give the thing you're watching about. And especially if it's a found footage movie like Noroi the Curse, like, that's a big part of the appeal. Yeah, so the movie is about a paranormal author who is shooting a documentary. And the framing narrative is the cameraman says, I'm going to show you this movie because that's going to help you understand what I'm going to tell you next. Yeah, which I side note here, I also love um, there's a thing in found footage that uh, a lot of them do where at the very top of the thing, there's a card that's basically like, this is the most brutal shit ever witnessed. We are banned from the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, This is, you know, sort of like where it sort of needs to put this disclaimer over the top of it that like this footage is upsetting, which you're kind of like, okay, man. Yeah. Like I was, I was on board. Sure. And then they actually follow through and they exceed all expectations. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, and, and you're, now the thing is you're totally right. Like the third act of this movie, I would say that for the first, um, you know, hour and a half of this movie, I was like bored and annoyed and then it kicks up and I'm like, motherfucker, thank you. Um, it's, it's kind of, is this a slow burn or am I being cranky? No, I think it, there's a lot of exposition and still what's, what's fascinating is normally exposition kills a horror film because Mm -hmm. I don't need to know why the monster exists. I don't need to know that the old lady has been feeding an escaped circus alligator (laughs) cows for 20 years and that's why it's taken over the lake. I don't care. I just want to see it eat swimmers. Yeah, that's the it, that's exactly right. It's I, listen. I don't need Michael Myers' backstory to watch him kill people. And um, yet, in this movie, it makes it work. It it works because it is all so intricately tied together, and also seemingly unimportant things become very important at the end of the movie in a way that is um, really surprising. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially because as a found footage movie, it is basically, it becomes a biopic for this paranormal investigator. Mm -hmm. And you see all of these outtakes of interviews and these uh, segments from TV shows. And you think, why is any of this here? Who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, why is this relevant? And then by the third act, every single thing you've seen 
is touched on and plays a key part to explaining what's happening. Absolutely. Yeah. And and yeah, so we the the main character of the or I guess not main character but the the protagonist of the thing is uh, Masafumi Kobayashi who is the the paranormal researcher slash documentarian. Um, and he is investigating. So at the top of the movie, we are made aware that there is a lady named Junko Ishii, who uh, she is a bad mother. You sort of figure out immediately. <laughs> so so this is what I, what I especially love, is uh, Marafumi uh, was a writer. He, he wrote in print, and then he's like, wait a minute. I can get a video camera and just record this bad shit nonsense. Let me do that. Which is the same process that you use to start a podcast, by the way, where it's like, <laughs> God damn it, writing long form pieces about horror. Who has the time? However, my friend, I want to do a podcast with like, this is, you know, I, well, and, and the thing is he also, uh, Masafumi has this thing where he's trying, I think a lot of the time to maintain sort of a, 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 a an objective documentarian attitude toward all of this. But immediately, all of the stuff he's looking at makes it impossible for him to be a reasonable, stoic documentarian. Except he also gives a lot of, get a load of this, get a load of this horse shit side eye <laughs> to the camera throughout the movie. And it mm-hmm. is very good. And yeah. one of the earliest things that hooked me in is his, can you believe this? Yeah. So he attends, he goes to a woman in the suburbs home. Uh, because she says there are weird noises, and you think, okay, this is just a ghost story. And mm-hmm. then she reveals the weird noises are from the neighbor's house, not hers. And that's where uh, things get start to get bananas. Well, yeah, and, and the noise that the, the neighbor hears are uh, the sound of babies screaming. Like, it's just really loud babies crying. And immediately, I think, you know, the neighbor is trying not to be like, I don't know if she's just got like a dozen really unhappy babies in there or what, but it's a lot and it's really loud. Um, and so, you know, the uh, so Masafumi goes next door and he's like talking to like he knocks on the door and Junko opens the door looking like fucking Gollum. Like just emerges from the dark, uh, dark circles under her eyes like she's clearly having a bad time in her life. Um and she's just immediately like, get the fuck away from my house. No, I'm not letting you in. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, and as, you know, uh, Masafumi is like retreating from the house with the camera, he looks over and sees a little kid pressing his face up against the glass and it looks like a little boy. Um, so it's just like, all right, so Boo Radley lives in this house, I guess? Yeah. So even the neighbors, like we saw them move in and there is a boy, but he doesn't leave for school and she leaves only occasionally to get food. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a very... I think that there's an analog here for, like, abusive parents. Or, like, maybe not even abusive parents, but, like, when you live with a parent who kind of can't get their shit together totally, and you've got kind of a feral kid and a mom who doesn't really know how to take care of this kid. And and I think it also speaks a lot to that... Um, definitely a Japanese cultural moment, but also a Western cultural moment of, well, I don't want to actually say anything. It's, it's Mm -hmm. easier to just assume that there are ghosts than to actually recognize that we need to call 
some government agency to remove this child from this home. Yeah, that's what actually that's what this is, is uh, it's like the Japanese cultural cultural norms around it slash Haddonfield, Illinois in Halloween, where you've got, (laughs) you know, Laurie Strode banging on the neighbor's door yelling, please help me. And they turn on the light. Somebody looks in at at her on the porch and then immediately shuts the lights off and closes the windows. And it's like, hey, listen, man, I'm not I'm not trying to get involved in anything happening here. So it is important to note that Japan has a hyper rich history of ghosts and spooky shit Mm -hmm. um which is why i really like a lot of japanese media um and also because they the indigenous religion of japan is polytheistic a lot of the spooky shit just gets lumped into shintoism it's just like oh that's just part of it there's just you know talking umbrellas and uh (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, and that, that's kind of the thing is when, you know, when you think of Japanese horror, you think of ghosts, you know, like you, you think of the sort of uh, like the, the Blumhouse intro card where it's like lady with messy hair wandering around in front of camera sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and Japan, especially, they never really got on board with the slasher thing until kind of later on. Like they're very preoccupied with ghosts, I think, as folklore. Yeah, and, and really the only... It, the slasher-esque movies you get from Japan aren't even slasher movies as much as they're just like extreme gore, like the guinea pig series and, and stuff. Yeah, it's... Visitor it, Q, stuff of that ilk. It's, 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 like, it's, it's like the grindcore... It's as as possible. It's like the grindcore of horror, really. <laughs> like, you yeah. yeah, you get into like <laughs> guinea pig movies and, and sort of Takashi Miike stuff and sort of like, you know, Tetsuo the Iron Man... Um, they never, I I mean, I think that there's a very specific version of, like, slasher movies that's particularly American, and these, you know, like, a movie like Norway the Curse, so much of, now, here's the thing, I do think this movie is in a lot of ways in conversation with the Blair Witch Project. Yes. Um, just in the way that it's shot, and the way that the third act plays out, like, in, in the way that, you know, it's, it's like... A, a really good... So, like, Fallout New Vegas has a great thing where you get to sort of unravel stories that happened within bunkers by reading entries. And there's this joy about starting with a weird thing like, oh, this lady, Junko Ishii, is, like, having a weird time and we're hearing babies crying. And then sort of following a cord all the way back to the wall and then finding out that it's ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> it's been ghosts the whole time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's very good. Uh, another thing that's great is... Um, this director uh, directed a Slitmouth Woman uh, film, which is a, a urban legend ghost of a woman who has a botched plastic surgery and has her mouth slit from ear to ear. Mm-hmm. And she asks children, do you think I have a pretty smile? And if you say yes, she'll cut your mouth. And if you waffle and, and are <laughs> unsure, she'll cut you. And if you say no, she gets mad and cuts you. So really, it's a, it's a zero-sum game. But also, uh, he's made a slasher film of that concept, which is very good. I support that energy, actually, that like every uh, there's a flow chart for the slit-mouthed woman, and everything leads to, I'm going to cut you. Um, there's just, there's just no varying way. Varying degrees of cuts. <laughs> Yeah, there's no way you can moonwalk out of this one, kiddo. I got I'm Listen, it's going to happen. I honestly, um, Quincy, I don't know if you remember. Now, in terms of ghosts in Japan, um, do you remember when that movie, The Forest, came out? 
Yes, but I we're talking about the Natalie Dormer film. Yeah, yeah, the one that takes yeah, place. I in skipped the... it because it looks very well. There, we already have discussed on this podcast the trend of stick a white lady in Japan and let mm-hmm. her deal with ghosts, and how that's usually very bad. So uh, I didn't, I didn't seek that one out. I mean, you were right not to do it. Like the thing is that it's I. It's one of those movies that is, is like trying to like, oh, Japan has a huge suicide rate and they're super preoccupied with ghosts on a folklore level. What if we do a thing about Aoki Gahara Forest that, that is a real life place where lots of people die? And I love that we all kind of collectively decided to forget that that movie existed. I think because... also that happened very uh close to that youtube star actually filming in that forest and Mm -hmm. finding a dead body yeah and then just live streaming it like yeah so i think as a culture we just hit the um eject button on that (laughs) yeah that's yeah and you know actually i haven't really heard about natalie dormer since then so maybe she's still in that forest wandering around looking for the film crew Um, Who's to say? I mean, yeah, who can who can know? Um, but so we get now. All right, so we're we're digging through footage. We get a spectrograph sequence, which, by the way, I fucking love spectrographs, where it takes an audio clip and sort of converts that into visuals. The Faustian Nonsense Network is here to help you produce your best work. We can edit, direct, draft, storyboard, and help your podcast increase its output and connect with the right audience. It doesn't even have to be a podcast. If you have a creative project that you want to monetize and get the most out of, Faustian Nonsense can make it happen. Come join our community and let's build something great together. And they run the spectrograph on the the, the baby crying noises and it becomes sort of more upsetting. Quincy, I have a question for you. Am I a cranky piece of shit or is it annoying when a found footage movie uses ambient lynchian noise and adr to make it sound cooler while we're doing found footage segments i did not find the adr in this film uh distracting it did not take me out of the experience but i have seen movies where um that are found footage where i've been annoyed at the um exogenic nature of the film yeah like like a big part of me is just like listen man blair witch wasn't out here giving me fucking chris nolan bumps like if what's on i don't know i because nora i like nora the curse a lot but i kept getting annoyed that we kept getting these like musical stings and little like womp womps when i'm like trust that what i'm looking at is going to unnerve me enough that i'm not going to need like soft industrial sound in the background to, to read like to put some stank on it i don't need that now what i i hate to to be the apologist here but oh, please. one of the conceits is this is a finished film and we're watching it uh, it, it just never got to be screened because um the director disappeared but we're, we're basically watching it in the editing bay and he's like, well, this is what we were going to release, so you can see that, and then let me explain why we actually didn't get around to releasing it. That's a really good point, actually. That, like, at the end of it, we get a sort of, like, Poochie died on the way back to his home planet sort of thing with a, yeah. lot, of the, <laughs> a lot of the characters, where we kind of get, like, a where are they now thing after the events of the movie. Um, and yeah, the simple like, actually... minds playing in the background. <laughs> Walk of Life but, by Dire Straits. Because there's also um, explanatory... Uh, cards in between each scene where they explain like we showed back up and dug in um, 
the backyard for a while and found <laughs> trash and also hundreds of dead pigeons. So many dead pigeons. Uh, so we, all right, so we, we get introduced to, there's a, there's a small child named Kana who we find out is pretty psychic and we yes. get a, a, a TV segment of like a host being like, all right, we're going to pull like a Peter Venkman-esque uh, psychic testing routine with people where we've got a bunch of kids in a classroom and we're testing out which which of them have psychic tendencies. Um, and what? so we find out that Kana is actually psychic. How must it feel to be one of the other children in that room? Because they show like, okay, kids, we're all going to hold this canister up to our forehead and you're going to draw the picture that's rolled up inside now mm. hold up your picture and there's a kid in the background who's just drew a teddy bear each time and they're just like you idiot <laughs> listen it's spirals all, you fool it's all going to work out for him eventually when it's an actual teddy bear inside and then he'll show them he'll show them all <laughs> um yeah that kid's got to be like well i guess we can't all be fucking psychic like kana <laughs> um, and so Kana is, you know, a kid that you you, you find out is genuinely uh, clairvoyant. Um, and at this point, we... So this is when ghost shit starts really happening. Um, so Kana... what? We also get introduced to... There is a psychic weirdo guy named Mitsuo Hori. Who... Hori is like... He is covered in tinfoil like the Michelin Man 24 over 7. He's got a... He's fashioned a... a tinfoil bucket hat <laughs> which is great very aesthetic honestly he he commits to a fucking theme because he's got tinfoil outfit tinfoil bucket hat he's like carpeted the inside of his house with tinfoil um and, and he, he sleeps inside a refrigerator box lined with tinfoil which i mean that's just i mean that's commitment to a bit uh, and we find out that uh, hori we appreciate that when marfumi comes to visit him he just nonchalantly gets into the refrigerator box <laughs> with mr hori as like hey can you watch this tape and tell me what you think is going on as if it's not weird <laughs> lenny from lenny from the simpsons voice don't tell anybody how i live um <laughs> he's yeah hori's having a bad time but he is obsessed with uh visions of uh, glowing ectoplasmic worms. He is obsessed with the worms, and he just keeps, like... He is always two seconds away from an emotional breakdown. Yes. Um, And so what, apparently... So he's wearing all the tinfoil to, what, prevent anybody from probing his thoughts? The worms. The wor the tinfoil blocks the ghost worms that he is convinced of. Right. So we also get a uh, clip from another variety show uh, in all of this where this young actress claims to be a psychic. And I guess it's just good primetime television to have your two goofy hosts who talk about we're so popular, ants crawl up our legs at a picnic. <laughs> uh, just weird, go weird flex, but to okay. a temple in the middle of the night and look for ghosts. But she goes and actually finds real ghosts. And we also find out that in that clip, there is what looks in a very, um, looks to be a real ghost. We see a little boy silhouette in the background. Yeah, yeah. And actually, this kind of puts it in a conversation for me with, like, Ghost Watch, where it's so much about stuff that you see in the background and stuff that's kind of ambient, where, like, on VHS... That's a thing you're going to want VHS for, for a thing like Nora the Curse, because you're going to want to look at it going... Am I imagining this, or is there a little kid at the back of this room staring at me? Yeah. 
And and uh, we also forgot that in the live TV show where they're testing Kana's psychic abilities, apparently psychics can produce water. <laughs> yeah, just one of their many skills. They wear a lot of hats. Uh, but they have her produce water from a bottle and hairs show up. Not only is she able to, is the only child that's able to produce water, but it's filled with loose hair. Yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot of hair. All right, now this is, is this a thing with Japanese horror that they're super into having a lot of hair because that's upsetting? I can confirm this is a trope that shows up a lot in Japanese horror is hair. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, and so that there's even um, horror movies about wigs that come to life <laughs> and attack people. You know what? Actually, uh, as somebody whose hairline has begun to recede, I get it. You know, I'm also I'm also upset about hair. Um, but so we get this thing where so Kana mutters the word Kagutaba, and apparently Kagutaba is. Like, so it's the big bad of the movie. It's a demon. I think it's a demon, right? Kagutaba? It's a demon. It's a demon from local folklore. Yeah. Um, and so it, uh, there's a village uh, that uh, we, we, we get a flashback sequence of like this ritual um, where they're all kind of standing around in like pretty elaborate costumes doing a thing. And then now here's the thing. There are a lot of possession scenes in this movie and they fucking rule. They're very good. It's so upsetting. Like, when somebody gets possessed by Kagutaba, like, they're just, like, on the ground writhing and screaming at the top of their lungs. Um, I honestly, so much of this movie working is down to the performances for me. Yeah. Um, like, the guy that plays Hori is just, like, knocking it out of the park every time he's on screen. Um, but we find out that, uh, so Kagutaba was, like, summoned by this uh, village, and they, um, so they locked it up. And they put him away, and everything was fine. But then construction started on a dam, and they apparently released Kagutaba. And the rest of the movie is trying to find Kagutaba and seal him back up so he can't harm people. Uh, the hallmarks of this demon are dead animals. Mm-hmm. Super into dead animals. Dead pigeons, dead, what, worms, dead babies. Dead dogs. Dead monkey babies, which, by the way, monkey babies are part of this, so I don't want to, I don't want to lose that. Um, but, but so also, what's buck wild is that in lieu of monkey babies, actual human babies are just as good. Yeah, yeah. So we get a lot of babies. Um, so we, so Kobayashi, uh, the the documentarian, um, figures out that, um, a, a small child, uh, from, uh, this village that, um, got possessed and was screaming turned out to be Junko Ishii, the worst mom in the world. And apparently, um, so we find out that, um, Junko was, uh, working at a school where she would just perform back alley abortions, um, yeah. and just straight up steal the fetuses and just, which by the way is, I feel like. Did she know what she was going to do with them? Or was she like, all right, well, I guess I'll hang on to that. Good question. There, There's a lot of discussion of intentionality. I would argue she probably had, knew this was coming mm -hmm. uh, because she was a vessel for Kagutaba. Uh, but, you know. 
Yeah. Well, waist not long not. Exactly. Well, you, you know, you're, you're going to have a fetus. You're, you're not going to know what to do with it, but you'll know when the time comes. Um, so we, we uh, find out there's this group of people that have all uh, committed suicide. Um, and we find uh, the fact that they, they all use a specific kind of noose that was consistent with a bunch of other hangings that you kind of find out like, okay, Kagutab has been around for a bit pulling some bullshit. And then Kana goes missing. Which is upsetting. Now, the, the the actor who plays Kana is adorable, and it's upsetting that this child had anything bad happen to them. Yeah. Um, so she goes missing, and the suspect of her kidnapping is Mr. Hori. Right. Now, and the problem with Mr. Hori is that you kind of look at his general manner of, like, screaming at the top of his lungs and living in a, tin, in a, in a tinfoil house and... Just kind of being a weird guy, I would also immediately suspect that dude and be like, so come on, like, admit it. Like, you, you, you kidnapped the kid, right? So, he won't admit it, but he does say, well, I did see her, but the worms got to her. Yeah. Yeah, which is not always what the cops want to hear, the worms got to her. Like, I feel like there's a few follow-up questions that happen after that. Um, so, what's buck wild is Kobayashi's like, okay, I'm going to take you to the woods... And you're going to show me where you saw her last. Right. Now, at this point, it, it starts verging into Blair Witch territory, where it's very sort of shaky cam. It's a lot of woods. It's a lot of yelling. It's a lot of running. Um, and so, what? So, they're in the forest. How? There's a lot of running. I The scene, it kind of got away from me a little bit. I didn't totally know what was happening here. So, they... They're in the middle of the forest, and they keep tripping over dead dogs. And then all of a sudden, they find what Mr. Hori calls a magic square. And it is a square um, lined by rope, and inside is the most amount of small animal corpses you have ever seen. And Kabutaba needs some different hobbies, I think, aside from just killing small animals and collecting them. Um, there's... Honestly, I've, uh, so in quarantine, I've been doing a lot of bird watching. It's really upsetting how many dead birds there are in this movie. They find that next to this, uh, corpse pile is an old shrine, like an old Shinto shrine. And then the camera, we see a shot of the camera, which is the most haunting shot in the movie, I would argue. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Hori is screaming Kana this whole time and then for a split second we look at the shrine and kana's body materializes and she is covered with writhing fetuses that are clamoring up and over her it she is just absolutely covered in wriggling fetuses like it's that's the visual that i think has stuck with me the most since watching noroi the curse is just like and it's also like almost night vision lighting like you can't totally see it but you see what looks like kana and also just fetuses crawling along the ground swarming up over her like ants like it is it is fucking upsetting and it, it was it was a genuinely like harrowing scene yeah. And basically, they're like, sweet, we've got our movie now. <laughs> yeah, and this was actually the point at which I was like, all right, now we're talking. We got ghost fetuses. Um, where previously, you know, like, I, I, the thing is, the first bit of this movie has a bit of a, a tone weirdness for me, where it's like, 
we're doing the 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 live TV show about the kids and the and the psychic testing. We've got kind of we're fucking around with this and that person. It feels like this is where the movie starts for me. Is the scene in the forest? So what's fascinating is um, if you've ever watched the show Hellier, uh, the big thing about that show is synchronicity, which is a, a nice way of saying random stuff happened and after the fact i've connected it all together to make it significant Mm -hmm. but this movie kind of plays around with that idea where it initially is like here's all of these weird things that are happening and if we zoom out they're not isolated they're actually all connected yeah and it all it, it like the way everything coalesces at the end of this movie like it 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 is it is really fucking impressive um so we get, uh, so we, we go from the woods to, um, Hor- uh, Mr. Hori is in a hospital, and so we get uh, Kobayashi and, uh, what's, sorry, the other person, um, what's their, what's their name? The actor? No, the, uh, Miyajima, that's it, the, the character yeah. who, yeah, yeah, so they, they're, they're trying to get to the bottom of all of this, um, and so they, they go to where Junko is living, and they find this just like death to blow inside. Yeah, they they bust open her door because they're like enough is enough, and they just find again more dead birds, more dead dogs, and then they climb the stairs and discover her um, hanged body. Yeah. Now, and actually, and during the scene and throughout a lot of the movie, I appreciate so much that it goes so hard on glitch effects and sound distortion. Um, which especially for 2005, like, I feel like, you know, found footage horror was just starting to find its voice. And I love that the glitching and the, the, the distressed sounds and the way, you know, the distortion happens, it does create a really fucking cool effect in this movie. Yeah. So amongst all of the corpses, uh, they find the little boy. Right. So they, so he, we find out that he is not actually, so uh, where previously at the, at the beginning of the thing where she comes to the door and she's like, leave me and my son alone. And he's like peering through the, through the window, like uh, Kilroy. Um, we find out that actually uh, he is not uh, Junko's actual son. Um, yeah. She, she just kind of found him. Just, or, or took him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, she... just take it. Which is also no, wild yeah. because the response is, now he's my son. It's like, if you just find a kid, you can have him. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. I, that, that's how I, I think she thinks it works. Um, but she, so she is dead, Khan is dead, little boy is still alive. We um, also realize that what um, Ishii was doing was she was making Kana... R- perform the same kagutaba summoning ritual which required her to eat uh, which in ancient japan was a medium eight monkey babies but because monkeys are not as common in the forests of japan uh ishii fed kana fetuses baby babies to summon the demon and then it's unclear where the demon was was bound. But then we go to a separate tape that was mailed to the producers after the director disappeared. And it is his personal camera 
with a single tape inside. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and well, and also the the baby monkeys, like the the using human fetuses is very like. Listen, if you can't make your own babies, store-bought is, store-bought is fine. Like, back in the day, there were, it was the, the, the whole place was just lousy with monkey babies. Couldn't find any now, but uh, I don't know if this helps. I've got a pretty steady access to aborted babies and can just, you know, feed this kid those. They're, what is I, it about aborted babies that's so popular as a horror trope in East Asian films? Because we have, around the same time period dumplings from china yeah we have from three um, extremes yeah we have Jun, um takashi Mike using babies um oh yeah and, imprint like yeah, it's imprint you know what that's i feel like i would need to do so much more reading about it because like i i was noticing the same thing that like oh i don't know i i feel like so much of the fetuses in this movie they're almost not even fetuses like they the fact that we've got hori describing them as worms yeah. That's the way my brain thinks of them because of just that visual of them swarming up over Kana in the forest. And and they look more like Kodama, like little tree mm-hmm. spirits from a Studio Ghibli movie than an actual human being. They're just big dark circles for eyes and ethereal, you know, white bodies and yeah, they don't look human. Yeah, they're like they're, my, yeah, my my brain doesn't look at, look at their little faces and go like, oh hi buddy. It's just like ah demon slug, um, and so uh, Junko, yeah, so she's dead, and we kind of so we cut to a thing where uh, Hori is um, he's committed to a psych ward, um, and he so he's having a bad time because of the things he's seen, uh, and then eventually he kind of dies off camera. Yeah, and they're like, oh, then we found his body, and here's a um, newspaper article about that. But then yeah. this tape shows up, and the end of the movie is, do you want to watch this tape? Of course you do. Here's what was on the tape that we found. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, obviously Kagutaba is up to his tricks. Um, he, So we get Hori uh, on the thing being like, hey, remember me? And he pops up in the house, Um and he shows he's... up to uh, Marafuji's home and, like, right. knocks on the door. He's in pajamas, so it's very clear, like, I just jumped the fence and came here. Uh, the director's, like, typical director. He's like, I'm gonna film this, <laughs> even though my life is in danger, but, you know, I'm, <laughs> I gonna, mean... I'm gonna check this out. Well, this is my favorite thing with found footage is, you know, like, I feel like this is the, the, the debate we always have about it is, like, why the fuck are you filming this? Like, if you're running from a witch in the woods, you know, why would you hold on to the camera? And my thing is always like, eh, why not? Sure. You know what? If I'm in that circumstance, I'm also going to be grabbing for anything near me. And if that happens to be a camera pointed at the thing happening, that's fine. You know? I also love that there is a moment in this final scene where once the house catches on fire, he's like, I'm going to grab the camera and just take it with me. And you're like, oh, good. Thank you. Oh, the house catching on fire, which, by the way, this fire stunt fucking rules. Um, we get uh, the the lady at the house where um, the kid is who's possessed by Kagutaba. Uh, it's, it's the director's wife. Yeah, there we go. And she just kind of, like, quietly, thoughtfully lights herself on fire. Um, 
after dumping a bunch of gasoline all over her body and so at this point we also get a bunch of glitching of just like kana hanging out as a ghost and popping up the little boy's face turns into the kagutaba like i don't know like how would you describe the kagutaba face it is like a a stretched out like tubescent kind of like a demon horn in the middle of the forehead what's what's fascinating is mr hori says hey this kid isn't an actual child he is kagutaba i gotta kill him right and uh the director's like no he's like actually yeah and then he just starts smashing his head in with a rock the child stands up he is bloodied and deformed and then for a split second his face turns into a demon's face instead of his normal face and then it glitches back yeah yeah and now so he's possessed the thing is that like a couple of times in noroi the curse um we get a scene where everybody like where people are trying to cast off the curse of kagutaba um we get a scene of um all of them in a boat near the dam doing a ritual and trying to make it work and, you know, we, we keep getting these moments of the curse is lifted, the evil is defeated, and then immediately afterward finding out, like, mm, Kagutaba don't give a fuck. Kagutaba's hanging out forever. Turns out just cutting a cord doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's also I, a big mood that the supernatural entity cannot be stopped. That, like, yeah, you can make up your rituals, you can make yourself feel better by doing this or that but it will never change the fact that this evil is in the world. I mean, I kind of love it as a, you know, especially when, when, when you think of horror movies and sort of the monster, you know, coming back to life or sort of having the, the IDDQD uh, cheat from Doom where, like, they're invincible and it's going to be fine. I love this idea that Kagutaba the Demon is not actually contractually obligated to abide by any of the things meant to banish him. Like yeah, that, that everyone is just kind of doing <laughs> the best they can and hoping it will work. Yeah, everybody's looking up Kagutaba Banish Ritual on YouTube and looking at the first, like, two results and being like, all right, I'm pretty sure I know how to do it, and Kagutaba being like, nope, still still hanging out. Well, um, it really, it, it reminds me a lot of how uh, I went to the video game store tonight uh, and the employees were talking about the Switch HD and mm-hmm. how, you know, you shouldn't buy a Switch yet because the Switch HD is, is coming. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have the heart to tell them that Nintendo has not confirmed that it even is an ideal or exists. It is an <laughs> urban legend that it's going to happen. And I didn't want to tell them, like, yeah, that's not real. So just, like, it, it reminds me a lot of this Kagutaba. Yeah, you know, you just do the thing and Kagutaba goes away. No, sweetie, that's that's all just a fairy tale. It doesn't really exist. Yeah. Like I mean, that you know, that makes more sense to me that, like, you know, a demon is not the same thing as, like, the fae, where, you know, they're bound by rules and contracts and stuff. Like, if you're a demon on, you know, who's gone topside and you're possessing children, I feel like the social contract has already been fucking broken. <laughs> Like, you don't, somebody can pull up and be like, hey, I've got, you know, receipts that say that you have to do what I tell you. And they're like, nope, I don't want to. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, they just. about yeah, that, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I'd rather not. Um, but so the, the house gets set on fire and 
Now, I, I think my favorite part of any found footage movie is where the camera has been dropped and nobody is moving it and you just see stuff sort of happening like directly in front of the camera um, because nobody is there to like wiggle it around. I remember, I think Cloverfield was the one that had so many people who had a bad time watching it because they got like motion sickness and, and it was just awful to watch because of the constant like jangling of the camera. Um, when the camera drops onto its side and we're watching everything technically vertically, I don't, there's something about it that I just love so much because it's like, that's when I actually start to feel like I'm get, being given a found footage moment of watching something that just happens to be happening in front of a camera. Yeah, it's that really good moment of I shouldn't be, that good feeling of I really shouldn't be watching this. This is not meant for, for consumption. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we, uh, so Kobayashi, uh, do we ever actually find out? So I think the, the, the end, so whoever edited the thing together after finding all the footage. Which is the um, cameraman from the whole movie. Oh, that's who that is. Okay. Um, a, a cameraman slash industrial music composer who puts cool, <laughs> you know what? I love the thought of the cameraman watching these horrors unfolding and going, Oh man, this is really gut churning and harrowing. You know what would make it scarier though is if I added some bleeps and you've just got these like. I really dust just... my coworker. I'm, I'm very worried about him. But you know what would be cool? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna jump on my synthesizer and really honor Kobayashi's memory by playing a couple of sick tunes. Um, and so yeah, so Kobayashi, you know, we're told at the end of the thing that he has disappeared. And so probably has Kagutaba. We don't know where the boy is. Um, and now the thing is, this movie left me with so many questions, but I like that. Yeah, because, and especially for a two-hour movie, there are more questions at the end of it than there uh, were. Imagine if this was only uh, a tight 80. You know, and actually that was, I have to admit to you, because I'm uh, old and cranky, when I, you know, put on Nori the Curse and then looked down at the time bar and saw almost two hours, I was like, ugh, two hours for a found footage movie? But it, it completely justifies the runtime. Yeah. And and I think we would be having, we would have a polar opposite opinion of this film if it was any shorter. And yeah, it is mm-hmm. kind of hard to get into because... Because it's found footage, it is very raw footage, and it is just unpleasant because shaky cameras are not enjoyable to watch. I mean, I think that yeah. is a thing that's not revolutionary to say, that out-of-focus, jostling cameras are not pleasant. <laughs> yeah. Now, honestly, though, the thing is, I, um, I, I, if, if, if I were going to bitch about this movie being two hours... I watched so much Marble Hornets on YouTube back in the day. <laughs> like, I, at what point am I going to be like, oh, this is too much? Like, whatever. I've watched hours of Marble Hornets footage by this point. Is um, Marble Hornets another thing that is completely ruined by the horrors of real life? Oh, you mean the kid that stabbed her classmate because, because she said that Slenderman told her to do it? Yeah, yeah. Bit. I feel like you know everybody. We like we were all hopped up on Slenderman, and then that shit happened, and everybody went, "JK, I'm I, nope, I'm out. I'm not doing." <laughs> like, yeah, we just like threw that again. It's like a giant uh, halt the presses. Like we just throw a big <laughs> uh, angle bar with a with a 
bike brake handle and the <laughs> gears grind to a halt and we're like we got to find something else yeah it's we, we did with that what we what we did with that aoki gahara like forest movie um although honestly you know like especially with Slenderman, i feel like uh in terms of creepy pasta it's it, it's obviously like the 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 beyonce of creepy pasta i think is Slenderman. like Nobody's yeah. making nobody's making like uh, uh, any any movies about any of the, any of the, any of the other creepypastas. Um, but didn't they make a Slenderman movie a couple of years ago? They did. It, which is it was a very Yeesh. large studio uh, piece. I watched about ten minutes of it and fell asleep in memory service <laughs> because it was incredibly boring. Nice. Um, and it's just a perfect example of a movie. It's very much the emoji movie approach where, like, this movie would have been good. This movie would have been culturally relevant had it not taken five years to make. But because yeah. of the major studio and all of the um, bureaucracy of that, it could not have come out any sooner. It's a perfect example of, like, it just missed that cultural window uh, <laughs> by, you know, a mile. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like th- that's also kind of my thing is, you know, a thing like Marble Hornets makes sense for Slenderman because of the found footage aspect and because of sort of, you know, I'm just, I'm a guy named Troy and I've got a camera and I've been seeing some weird shit and posting it to YouTube and like taking advantage of the platform with like different accounts following different accounts on YouTube. Like I would, I, I, I will not act cool. I fell down this hole so much back in the day with like researching it and and being into all the little theories and, and all the, you know the 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 way that they, that they were taking advantage of the medium on youtube where a major studio going and here's slender man like doesn't doesn't really work um yeah and with a movie like noroi the curse i feel like this movie would not work as a major hollywood like as a major hollywood release like if you put you noroi couldn't recast it with white people <laughs> i think the only uh, example of an American version of a Japanese movie that's better than the original to me is The Ring. Because, um, like, Ringo is fine, but I genuinely think that the movie The Ring is is, is better. Um, and it's, like, it's just that. I can't think of anything else that America has taken and gone, yeah, I bet we could do that, but better. And then it just was complete shit. So where do you want to put Norway on the list? Okay, so at number 102, we have Three Extremes. Uh, which was, of course, a collection of like three uh, uh, short films that you know we when we were talking about the fetuses with you know like dumplings and uh, so that's at number one hundred and two. Which do we think is better, that anthology movie or this very specific upsetting found footage movie? I think what we have to remember is that Three Extremes and the whole tartan and the Asia Extreme banner of DVDs and things. Mm-hmm owes its entirety to films like Noroi. Yeah, yeah. So, like, Noroi ran so that Three Extremes could run, is what you're saying. Yeah, and no tea, no shade, because Takashi Miike did one of the Three Extremes. Yeah, his his is my favorite on that one. Um, yeah, but, I mean, I think that a lot of that film and Three Extremes 2 and 3 and, and all of those... Mm-hmm. We're just getting to a point where they're like, how provocative can we be? Whereas Noroi is provocative without making a big deal about it. I don't feel mm-hmm. the director sitting next to me on the couch nudging <laughs> me. And as much as I love yeah. the the wide 
filmography of Takashi Miike. Mm-hmm. Every Takashi Miike movie, he's sitting next to you going like, you know, I did it again. <laughs> You're crazy <laughs> for this one, Jay. Yeah, actually, you know what I picture? I picture him leaning in next to you on the couch and just whispering, I'm fucking crazy. <laughs> And that's just any anytime anything happens, it's just him being like, "Bah, Mike," and then just like cartwheeling away. Um, all right, so looking up the list a little bit, uh, a little bit at number ninety three, we have Child's Play, uh, the original from nineteen eighty eight. Uh, which do we think is better, uh, Noroi the Curse about a a possession movie about small children, or a movie in which uh, a possessed doll tries to possess another small child? I will tell you, if we're talking about the scarier movie, um, I did have trouble sleeping last night. Yeah, Noroi is pretty upsetting. Like, so many of the visuals do stick in your fucking brain. Um, I think, yeah, we gotta give the edge to to Noroi for that. Because, like, Child's Play was a movie that scared the shit out of me as a kid a whole lot. But as an adult, I watch and I'm having a great time because it's a movie about a killer doll voiced by Brad Dourif. And maybe it's just, like, enough time and cultural sort of capital has, you know, been gathered since then. That You know, like, when I look at Chucky, I don't feel a sort of, I'm just sort of like, oh, fuck, yeah, it's it's Brad Dourif, you know. And it's not maybe as fresh as a thing like Nora the Curse. Okay, so here's a boss battle. At number 90, we have Audition, which is the other side of the J-horror coin. We have extreme violence and Mm -hmm. pretty much just extreme violence, like Audition, and we have supernatural shenanigans like Noroi. Which is better? First of all, I'm ashamed that Audition is this far down the list. I feel like I've failed Takashi Miike. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Audition being at number 90, I feel like I am I want to give the edge to Audition. At least because, for me, I feel like um, the third act of Noroi the Curse... like, and, and obviously, the first two acts are great once you get to the third act and it brings everything back around in a way that's really, really satisfying. Um, I think Audition kind of does a similar thing, where like a lot of stuff that you're you're kind of figuring it out as it's going along, and then at the very end, you know, everything comes around, and you're like, oh, of course that's who she is. Of course that's what's happening. So I think what's important to note is uh, when I reach for my phone when watching a movie. So mm-hmm. when I watch The Nun, that <laughs> phone and, and uh, you know, phone... I'm playing... 2048 the whole time because that yeah. is way more interesting than <laughs> the nun anything um, else when i'm watching a movie like audition or noroi mm-hmm. part of the reason why i'm not playing 2048 is they're subtitled and i don't speak yeah. japanese so i have to read them yeah. but it still doesn't get rid of the need to be frustrated and go i'm so mad this movie isn't dubbed because i could be playing 2048 right now see um, this is this is my problem lately with knitting by the way because i've gotten into knitting and i you know we, we've been watching this show called final table that it's an international cooking show that i have to keep looking up because they're just doing subtitles on a lot of the cooks which i love that they're just like oh this is an italian cook who doesn't fucking speak english so she's just going to be you know talking in italian and you have to pay attention it's both important, and also I'm a lazy piece of shit who wants to knit and not have to look at everything, so I, I feel your pain on this. So, I'm going to cut a subs versus dubs promo right oh, now. shit. Um, okay. Dubs are the way to go. No other country uh, shows American movies subtitled. You know what? 
It That's... is not a, it's not an issue of artistic integrity because if it were, subs actually detract from being able to see what's on the screen. <laughs> the director ideally wants you to speak the language that they're directing the film in. But if you can't, you know, I guess subtitling works. Now, also subtitling yeah. is cheaper than dubbing. And yes, dubbing goes sideways very often. I'm mm-hmm. also weirdly nostalgic because I, um, you know, grew up in the 2000s watching mm-hmm. anime. Oh, so yeah. some of those uh, voice actors are, are near and dear to me. Um, of course, yeah. Especially with Dragon Ball Z. I feel like there's so many of those performances that like when I think of Dragon Ball Z, I think of those American dubs. The, the laughing of Naga, the White Witch, in Slayers uh, warms my heart. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. That's central to my, <laughs> that's central to my enjoyment of Slayers, honestly. Um, but yeah, so, you know, Audition being at number 90, I feel like... I feel like I want to give the edge to Audition. Like, at least because, you know, when you think of... I don't know, like, the, the medium, when you think of, like, movies that left a huge impact, like, I think about Audition all the time because of like this was like Takashi Miike at the fucking top of his form making a movie that you know I I imagine that even while making it he was whispering to himself like this is some good shit like this is gonna this is gonna really upset some people and audition is a slow burn that doesn't feel tedious in the way (laughs) that Noroi is a slow burn and it's worth it later but it feels a little salutatory it feels like you just kind of mm-hmm. have to do it it doesn't well, I mean, feel like it's 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 not a joy to watch it now that yeah. doesn't mean that horror movies have to be like a good time had by all mm-hmm. but it does feel a little bit like i guess i'll take my medicine to you know get to this cool ending that's exactly it yeah you've nailed it like like when we were watching the the opening bits with the like reality show about which of these children is going to be psychic i was totally sitting there like millhouse going when are we gonna get to the possession and was just like waiting for the spook shit to happen and it and with audition i feel like it's the action is a little more taut in the beginning and a little bit more sort of you're getting more indications that something isn't right about this that pays off maybe in a bigger way than noroi um, I would say the payoff in audition is definitely uh, more flamboyant. It's not a quiet <laughs> ending. It indeed not. Um, but now, so right underneath uh, audition uh, is Phantasm Two at number ninety one. Um, Quincy, I don't mean to be bold. I will be goddamned if I put Noroi the Curse underneath Phantasm Two. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Norway the Curse, first of all, is an actual movie with a plot and stuff that happens. Um, you mean and I you l- don't like a movie that retcons its entire previous movie <laughs> by saying the whole movie you just watched that this is a sequel to was a dream? It was all a crazy dream. Now, Phantasm 2, I have seen, I want to say at least three dozen times. And it's, I mean, it's a phantasm movie, so it's not so much a movie as, like, a performance art by Don Coscarelli. Like, it's just, like... Set pieces. Yeah, yeah. It's set pieces, and it's it's mood, and it's, you know, all of that stuff, which is great. But th- what that is, is a genre of horror that's, if you're at a bar on Halloween, put this movie on, on the TV behind the bar, and nobody can hear it, and it does not matter. 
Um, but you want those cool visuals while everybody is hanging out, where I, I feel like Noroi is doing so many interesting and cool things that Phantasm 2 just doesn't have the chops to do. So yeah, so I feel good about that. So coming in at our new number 91 is uh, Noroi colon The Curse. And this is on Shudder. Uh, we haven't talked about Shudder in a long time, but uh, definitely go check this out if you haven't. And also, um, a lot of this director's other movies are on Shudder now, too. You know what? We've uh, we, we've, we've strayed and started hanging out with Tubi a little bit more, but Shudder, we still love you, baby. Uh, we're, you know, Shudder, <laughs> Shudder still has a lot of, a lot of really great shit. Uh, Nori the Curse is on there, and a lot of really, really good J-horror. Um, but, yeah, so... All right, so good. Yeah, 91. Uh, between Audition and Phantasm 2. Uh, Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Our listeners can find us on um, Instagram at Rank and File and on Twitter at Rank and Filecast. Uh, they can also go to our website, FaustianNonsense.com. Yeah, where you can find all manner of merch. We have our official list up on Faustian Nonsense's website, uh, including, uh, by the way, and I, uh, J- Jackie from uh, Faustian Nonsense and I, have uh, combed through and uh, found which episode goes with which movie. And so you can scan our list and find every single episode uh, that cores- co- uh, corresponds with the movie you want to hear us talk about. So go, uh, go ahead and head over there. Um, guys, we have a Patreon full of uh, new stuff that's coming out. Um, go to patreon.com slash rank and vile. Uh, and if you care to, um, if you drop five bucks in the hat, you can have access to not only our show notes, but bonus episodes and content. Uh, uh, we talk a lot about Sylvester Stallone and his <laughs> whole body of work in the bonus episodes. And his whole body. Yeah, it's, listen, it's mostly a lot of Sylvester Stallone movies. So yeah, yeah, go on and check it out. Uh, but that uh, is about all I've got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks. Later, folks.